0: Welcome to Sound and Vision,
1: conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Golden Artist Colors became an employee owned company in 2002, and in 2010, the employees became the majority owners. And despite worldwide distribution, golden product is still created on the grounds of the original barn in new berlin using the highest standards for consistency and quality you can find their products in pretty much every art store and you can find more about them at GoldenPaints.com. if you're a listener of sound and vision and enjoy the podcast please support it by leaving a rating and review on itunes it only takes a minute or two and it really helps the podcast get exposed to a wider audience Another way to support these artist stories, reach the audience that's interested in art, music, and creativity, is to share a photo, post about the podcast, and tell a friend. In the past three years, the podcast has reached an amazing number of listeners from around the globe. That's thanks to you, the listeners, sharing it and spreading the word. Many thanks. Madeline Donahue is an artist born in Houston, Texas, who lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. She's exhibited with the Every Woman Biennial, Stephen Harvey Fine Arts Projects, 601 Art Space and Field Projects, in Manhattan, Underdonk, Greenpoint Terminal Gallery, and Spaceworks in Brooklyn. Her paintings were included in Making It Work at the Oliver Arts Center, California College of the Arts in Oakland, a group exhibition of artworks made by artists during their first few years of parenthood. She'll be included in the upcoming exhibitions SPF 32, curated by Madeline Mermal, and Garden Party, curated by Emily Marie Miller and Jake Cohen, both in Brooklyn, and in Smoke Show at Elephant Gallery in Nashville, Tennessee. She'll have her first solo exhibition at Stephen Harvey Fine Arts Projects in Manhattan in September. She was an artist-in-residence at the Bird Cliff Artist Colony in Woodstock, and recently at the Wassaic Project in Wassaic, New York. Madeline stopped by for a talk about growing up in Texas, George Harrison, getting in trouble for drawing too much, painting as a parent, and a lot more. Here's our conversation. But I, I prefer heat over cold at this point. Uh,
2: yeah, I kind of
1: do too. So wait, you grew up in Texas?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Houston, which is not like what you imagine Texas is like. It's a big city. Yeah. I, I feel very at home in New York. Um, it's a lot it's more like l a sprawling, yeah, but it's flat and it's on um it's like swampy and flat. But it feels a lot like New York to me because there's a lot of culture. There's a lot of oil money there. Right. So we had ballet and um, theater. Um, I went to a really amazing arts high school. Um, so it had like everything a big city has culture, yeah. <laughs> I've been, I mean
1: I've only passed through Houston.
2: It's not, it's I've not never anybody's dream. i spent but time there. <laughs> yeah. There's but not... how about that stadium? Oh, God, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, the art collection.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, um, that's a weird thing, right?
1: mm mm-hmm. Contemporary art collection in a stadium.
2: Right, yes. Um, and then, like, the Menil collection. Yeah. And most people in Houston don't even know about the Menil collection, and it's right. free. People um, outside know it. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's when you go, I worked there one summer, and they they were really surprised that I was an artist. They like could not believe that people were still artists, because most of their collection is um, stuff that was collected, you know, I guess modern... A lot, they have a lot of surrealism and modernism and yeah. they were like oh you're an artist people still do that that still, go, that still <laughs> yeah. happens <laughs> yeah but um yeah a lot of the people that come through are from like LA and New York
1: yeah but there's a contemporary museum in Houston
2: yeah there, there's a lot of art in Houston yeah. it's really amazing yeah and we um my high school was within walking distance of the museum district so we uh would just walk to the MFA or the ICA or um the Menil Collection there's a it's just yeah, it's a really amazing city. So um, what's
1: the deal with Houston? I mean, is it it feels like it's like you're saying there's culture there, but it doesn't feel super. I mean, you go to Austin for the liberal kind yeah. of that vibe. Yeah, right? and, and actually, Houston's I think Houston more... is
2: more liberal than Austin is. Oh, really? It's just a lot bigger. Um, yeah,
1: but there's a lot of Republican money there, right? There's
2: well, there's a lot of Republican money all over Texas, but there's I mean, Houston is is a, I'd say a more liberal Like Houston and Austin are more liberal. Um, But Houston, like Austin, the weather's a little better. It's dry. Houston is just like 100% humidity every day. People just can't handle it. So people go there and they're like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. thick, swampy. Uh, Yes. You have to really commit to it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's just the weather is severe in an opposite direction. You know it's like super hot and severe, and people just can't handle it. There are also a lot of bugs, and it's not dreamy. <laughs> yeah. Austin is a lot more um, yeah, you can be outside in the heat in Austin, and it's dry, so it's just not it's not as terrible. It's more like California.
1: It's a dry heat. Mm-hmm. I love that when we I went to Phoenix for a show, and they were like, Oh, it's a dry heat, and it was I think it was like 114. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, it's I mean,
1: really yeah, hot. it's better than it being humid. Right. But when it's over a yeah. hundred and ten, right? You're like just you, dying. I remember walking in the shade mm-hmm. because you could do it if you were in the shade. But once you went in the sun, it would attack you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get, well, so, so Austin's a little more livable in the sense of like, yeah, and it's a smaller,
2: symbols. it's a smaller town. So yeah. it, it's um, when I was growing up, it was just a bunch of old hippies. It was really awesome, and you'd go there, and there, you know, there's live music everywhere. It, I I went to Nashville. A few years ago, and I thought Nashville would be like Austin, and I was kind of disappointed in Nashville. Really, I yeah. thought Nashville was. If you've never been to Austin, you'd love Austin. It's
1: like Music yeah. City mm-hmm. too.
2: It's a lot bigger, yeah. yeah, and and you can literally just walk around and hear you know country and rock and roll and whatever like hip hop.
1: Well, South um, by Southwest is huge too. Yeah, right? that did a lot. That Brooklynified it mm-hmm. supposedly.
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of a terrible place to live now, but it's really fun to go visit.
1: Isn't that funny that those new best places to live quickly turn into the worst places? Yes. To live? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It happens that quickly. Right. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm originally from Pittsburgh and people are, you know,
2: Pittsburgh's getting too cool.
1: Well, I think, I mean, the ACE opened up there. Oh so. no. Because it's so cheap. It's, it's <laughs> right. always been so cheap to live there, but there's culture, Yeah, you know? And I think it's kind of like an unsung or like, you know, overlooked place. Yeah. I mean, people know Carnegie Mellon and you know, there's a couple of things there that people are aware of. But yeah. Isn't there a
2: specific cookie for Pittsburgh? A cookie? I think there's an Italian cookie that's made with a press. I don't know anything about it. I just See, this is
1: bad. I should know that. Just
2: always associate. I heard, somebody, I heard somebody talk about, there's like a cookie festival, I think. Anyway, look into it. There might be a cookie for Pittsburgh. How do I
1: not know? I'm deep, deep, <laughs> deep next Pittsburgh, you know. I think I,
2: it's like an Italian, almost like those little waffle cookies.
1: Okay. Oh, um... Yeah. I can't
2: remember what they're called. But. I know what you're talking yeah. about.
1: And yes, I know. see, it's the kind of thing, I think, when you grow up somewhere and there's stuff that's native to there or that's common, yeah. but you didn't realize it's a thing there. Mm-hmm. Like, Capicoli is a big Pittsburgh thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, just I don't knew know what it was Capicoli a word. Is. It's like a certain kind of meat, like a supposed meat. Yeah, right. But they would serve it at Primanti Brothers, which is that restaurant that puts the French fries and the coleslaw on yeah. the sandwich, which yes. is unbelievably good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't know if it's like, intrinsic to Pittsburgh or if it's just popular there, but yeah, yeah those, I think that cookie starts with an S. Some, there's people from Pittsburgh right, right now who are like, how could you not know? Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't know it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, did you have an accent at all? Is there any accent? Um,
2: maybe my parents both have really strong accents. My dad's from East Texas mm-hmm. and my mom's from West Texas and my mom is a speech therapist. So when she was in her twenties and she started teaching, she had some recordings of reading books for kids, and they are hilarious. Oh, because yeah. a deep
1: accent? Such
2: a deep accent, yeah.
1: But she had to get aware of that, right? As a therapist, maybe? I
2: think. Well, I think the thing about Houston is that there's so many, it's like one of the most diverse cities in the country. I think there's so many people around that you hear, you kind of hear everything. Yeah. And you, like a lot of my friends, I think to have a Texas accent in Houston, you had to go out of your way to get one. It was like a suburban thing. Mm-hmm the further you lived out of the inner city. And I grew up right next to downtown, so we were, I don't know. It just, not very many people I grew up with had accents, but everybody's parents had an accent. Everybody's parents, or everybody's parent, parents were from somewhere, like, small. My How, best friend's parents were farmers in yeah. Central Texas, yeah, so.
1: How's the Texas accent different from your garden variety Southern? I mean, I know they're all... Slightly different.
2: I think it's faster, maybe. Like okay. I always think of Georgia and like the South being slow and kind of drawn out. And some of, I think the f- like fancy Texas accents can be like that. Yeah. But mostly it's like fast, twangy, kind of sour.
1: It's like a southern accent on the go. Yes. We like got things to do here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I love those and, really slow ones, right. the southern, like like Alabama, Georgia. Yeah. Or
2: something. Ann Ann Richards, like the politician. She's um kind of a perfect like iconic texas woman i think the other thing about texas is that women are really kind of bold and loud and Mm -hmm. there's like a texas wit yeah (laughs) which i think is a little severe up here right (laughs) definitely like not everybody wants to be joked with all the time (laughs) so but that's 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 just like characteristic yeah just people yeah I love that, you know,
1: different areas give you different vibes Mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's true though. Like if people from Pittsburgh are generally pretty blue collar and kind of down the earth, you know, not too dramatic about things for some reason. so when I meet people nowadays, you know, here or elsewhere, not in Pittsburgh, that the people like, oh, that makes sense. They're kind of like laid back. They're not Mm -hmm. too worked up over things. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know. That's not always the case from other places. Yeah. <laughs> places. yeah. So did you enjoy growing up? I loved
2: anytime? I
0: loved it. Yeah.
2: I loved Houston. I could have lived there forever.
1: And music. There's yeah. good music. There's I, great music. So what was your what was the growing up like with music?
2: So so my parents are divorced and they are like you know I went back and forth between them. They're both very very musical family. Neither yeah. my mom plays the piano, but she is kind of self-taught. She had a boyfriend who taught her at some point. So she doesn't read music, but she kind of plays intuitively and, like...
1: By ear? Yeah, by yeah.
2: ear. Yeah, and both my parents have really good ear, and, like, they're both really passionate. <laughs> so there's a lot of, like, torch songs, a lot of... Yeah. But, and, and also, I grew up in the 80s when, like, kind of after records and 8-tracks and kind of before CDs, so we had mixtapes. Mixtapes, yeah. So my dad got me this thing called a My First Sony when mm-hmm. I was maybe two, and I started making mi- mixtapes. Oh, really?
0: Yeah, and That's cool.
2: it had a microphone, so I could like sing could into DJ it. Yeah, could DJ, yeah. you could DJ over it too. Yeah, and I would like record stuff, and then so I think when I was really little, there were these kind of crazy, you know, there'd be a thirty thirty second pause, and then there'd be a piece of a song, and then I'd be yelling at my dad or something. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but yeah, and then I started making mixtapes like pretty young. I remember like. The Thompson Twins, okay. that song yeah, "Hold yeah. Me." Mm-hmm. For some reason, that song that oh, got man, to that me that is going like to be in four. my head for the rest <laughs> of the time. That's and one we, of those songs. Right? It's so crazy. Yeah, we went on like a camping trip, like one of my first camping trips, and I remember making this tape and insisting that my dad play it in the car. And I think he was just not into it, and I had to kind of like. <laughs> Demand the the airtime in mm-hmm. the car, yeah. But my my mom's house, we listened to. it. We had you know maybe ten tapes. We listened to George Harrison. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which. It's the one where he has. It's like his face in black. It's one. It's one of his really great. You mean albums. the record? Mm-hmm.
1: Does it have "I Got My Mind Set on You" on it?
2: No, that's we also had that one. That was a big hit. It was his like seventies. It was more like seventies oh, George okay. Harrison, really beautiful. Um songs. And then um, Aretha Franklin and Neil Young, yeah. like kind of like classic stuff. Harvest Moon? Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And so my mom would play the piano kind of to the songs. I think we, we never really had anything more than a little boom box or something. But um, yeah, my mom's house was really free. So we would, I mean, I could listen to music as loud as I wanted. And, and our house was like this old wooden house. So, I mean, you could hear everything in the house, but you could also like play music really loudly and it wouldn't, it kind of you were absorb far away enough? Yeah. It? yeah. it would like a, kind of absorb into the walls or something. So there was a lot of freedom. And I don't know, I sang a lot. <laughs> and my dad's house, my dad had more like, I don't know. We listened to, I mean, it's all kind of like, real, my dad always painted, uh, my dad always played Paint It Black every Sunday. He'd, like, make breakfast and play Rolling Stones every Sunday. And that song, Under My Thumb. Yeah. I've, I always remember that Do you like the Stones?
1: Like, Not really. I don't like Paint It Black I that much. Like I mean, it. I know it's a great song, but it's kind yeah. of depressing.
2: I think there's something... I think I'm, I'm at an age, or, like, I'm a generation where there was a lot of, kind of, hype for certain bands Yeah, that I was just kind of like, really... I'm more into, like, really moody, kind of...
1: Thompson Twins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Phil Collins. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. My ballet teacher played Phil Collins records for our warm-ups.
1: Nice. So, Invisible in the studio? Touch. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> my God.
2: It was amazing. I was like, yes. <laughs> this is so much fun. Such a vibe to that
1: music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Stuff. Oh, man. So much 80s music. Yeah. When and
1: did you... So, when did it turn... Into like your ownership of the music was it the '80s stuff or was it more kind of like punk pop or rap or like did did it always manifest itself as like the I stuff did, you just encountered or did you yeah. kind of do that whole this is my music
2: I so I love everything mm-hmm. so and um there's a lot of hip hop in Houston yeah there so is. uh there, like country like we we'd always listen to Sleep at the Wheel when we went on like uh, Willie Nelson Sleep in the Wheel I kind of love everything in, in its place. I really love like, um, Stevie wonder and anything that has a lot of emotion. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah. And and I think I really kind of took ownership when I got my little, my first Sony and I could, I was obsessed with like, I would sit and wait for songs to come on the radio. I think a lot of what I listened to was pop because Mm -hmm. we didn't really have like a sound system or...
1: Like records and all that stuff. Yeah, So and we, it was, yeah, what I was on the radio was mm-hmm. what you were listening to.
2: I didn't really have enough money to go and like buy. We didn't... We bought... I'd get a cassette like maybe if I was lucky at like the half price bookstore.
1: Wasn't it exciting though? Even though it was small?
2: Well, they... So so they were huge for a while. You'd get like this huge kind of folder and you'd have to open it up and get the cassette out. Like... Really? Yeah.
1: I don't remember ever getting them. Yeah.
2: And there's this place called Cactus Music in Houston that had like re- like all of the best. Like, would it have like a big music.
1: cover art or something?
2: It, it would have like a little like a fold book out. inside. yeah. That I must mean, have been like the, the really regular, early 80s. Do yeah. you remember the regular mm-hmm.
1: cassettes that would come in that plastic thing that was really long? That they yeah, that's, would hold yeah that's what I'm
2: talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. like they'd lock it in so you could not right. steal it. Yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah.
2: those also, like when you bought it, it would come with like a, a thing. Maybe that was just the display. Yeah, and they'd the lock and they'd take it out and then you'd just get the cassette that you'd, you'd take fold home. Fold
1: out the art. Yeah. yeah, do you have that one cassette that is the most iconic in your memory? I'm asking that because I have one of my own. <laughs>
2: uh, are, so, so really, the George and, and the George Harrison was like so. It's like Dark Horse or something.
1: I gotta look in. I've never, you know, I never had George Harrison solo stuff. Yeah, in our house, we we just had Beatles and stuff. It's
2: I, it's really beautiful stuff. A lot of it is kind of it's like spiritual. He got really into spiritualism. Yeah. Um, well, he was Hindu, Hindi, little, right? Yeah, like Hinduism and yeah. He was hanging out um, with Ravi Shankar and right. stuff. It's yeah, cool. so if you're not into that, then you might not get to. But it's they're really beautiful songs. Yeah. Um, but that, I remember that one was really amazing. And then, um, yeah, I can't remember anything. I mean, really, like Billy Joel's River of Dreams.
3: Billy Joel.
0: Like,
2: my, yeah, my <laughs> mom got that. And I loved that because Christy Brinkley had painted his record cover. Really? And they were married, and I thought that was like the sweetest thing She ever. was an artist? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I can't picture it, but I remember that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It gets really bad in the early 90s. Yeah.
1: I remember getting the Tribe Called Quest cassette. My parents finally let me get it at the mall. They drove me to the mall and it was the first one and I was so excited to hear it, but I couldn't hear it until I got home. So I remember just looking at that cover art, being Mm -hmm. like, what is this going to sound like? What is it going to sound like? You know? It was like so exciting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I think I, I, the other thing is, um, I feel like 1990 to 1993 were really important, and that was when um, it was kind of when like Brit pop was kind of fusing with alternative.
1: Oh yeah! And
2: I remember I had a little, I got a little alarm clock radio, and I was in fourth grade, and like Cocteau Twins, Mm -hmm. that song Bluebeard was on the radio, and then also um, Nirvana had some songs on the radio.
1: That was a powerful time because you had that, like the grunge stuff was kicking, but then you had like My Bloody Valentine. And Ride and those British bands. And Oasis? Well, Mm -hmm. I guess Oasis was a little later. It was a
2: little later, like two two years later. Yeah, and and like R.E.M. had Mm -hmm. Losing My Religion. And I remember watching Saturday Night Live and really like connecting with the musical acts and being kind of surprised that like Pearl Jam would be on Saturday Night Live or something.
1: How old were you when you were first allowed to, or started to watch Saturday Night Live?
2: I could always watch, like, I think I was watching it when I was two. Oh, really? And I remember my parents being, cause, because comedy is kind of really important in my house, or my house is, or comedy was important, um, and my parents were kind of like, this, there's going to be some sexual stuff in this, but it's worth it. Right. Like Phil Murray.
1: <laughs> but
2: you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. And I remember, like... The Pat, Pat skit?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, I was like 10 at that point, maybe like 8 to 10. But Julia Sweeney. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. my mom getting kind of uncomfortable. And I was like, Mom, like, ugh, lighten up. Like, know, it's, it's not okay. that big a deal. <laughs> 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 it's Pat! Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah, I
1: can't remember when I started watching it. But it's so important now. Like, yeah. comedy is so important now to me. Mm-hmm. But I
0: can't yeah. remember
1: as a kid... Seeing bits and pieces of it. But then nowadays kids can see clips, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But you don't have to subject them to the entire show, Mm -hmm. like the last fifteen minutes when it just goes off the rails sometimes. But uh but back then you would have to stay up. Mm -hmm. Like did you used to watch hundred twenty minutes? Oh my oh my god, yes.
2: So I so I didn't have cable and I um I would get video tapes and I would go to my friends' houses and my best friend in particular, like we could watch TV 24 hours a day and I that just blew my mind because we weren't really allowed to watch TV at my oh, house. Oh, yeah. And like it was a special treat and I would stay up all night long taping the videos that I wanted. Yeah. And it was, was like, that's insane. I Like I wouldn't sleep all night so that I could record music videos. And I remember, if I got the one I wanted, I was like, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like hitting the jackpot, A, because mm-hmm. you don't know if it's going to come on. Mm-hmm. You would have to wait. Yeah. And I remember like, like, holding my eyes open mm-hmm. to stay awake long enough to get... Because a lot of that shoegazer Britpop stuff that I really liked would be on towards the end of it. Yeah, Like, the beginning would be, like, Beck's Loser or something. Mm-hmm. And you'd go through all the grunt yeah. or whatever it was. And then late was, like, the stuff that I wanted yeah. to see. But it was, like, hard to stay awake for sometimes. Yeah. sometimes.
2: And I think all those, like, Michelle Gondry Bjork videos oh, were yeah, on. Yeah. And they used her... I, I don't think it was in 120 Minutes, but it was the... Uh, that like, Insomniac one, whatever the one that was really late, they used that Bjork, um, like, intro for the, the music for it. I can't remember And I was always, like, when I'd hear that music, it I'd get be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So, cra- yeah, I feel like I'm, like, obsessive about music. And I also, like, listen to the same, like, I'll kind of, like, hammer something into my brain I'll get obsessed with one thing and then listen to it over and over and over again and I've been lucky enough to have people in my life who are okay with that Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like actually kind of enjoy it too and then some people are just like can we please stop listening I, I don't know now you know for like the past 15 years I think I've kind of kept it to myself like it's a bunch easier with iPods and iPhones and right
1: you can be more personal mm-hmm. with it yeah it used to be on display yeah, it I'm used to be very to. public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so let me ask you a question. Sure. Sometimes people are like, well, you're not talking about the artwork, but don't you think that it's all totally this stuff related. leads yeah. up to your sensibilities yeah. and what makes your voice, your voice? Right. Okay, I just want to get yeah. that out there. Yeah. were you drawing when you were a kid?
2: Oh, yeah. So I I was drawing like immediately, like the moment I was born, it was a big deal. And um, my uncle gave me just this paper we just had this box of paper it was endless paper and I actually was drawing stuff that's pretty similar to what I'm making now <laughs> I've always been into figuration <laughs> yeah I'd paint like you know like fantasy people and I don't know pretty girly stuff probably but Um, I actually got in trouble in kindergarten. My kindergarten teacher thought I drew too much because I'd like sit at the drawing table all day. How could you? I know. And she suspended (laughs) me from the drawing table for a week. Oh my God. And like, I guess like she thought that I was a bad influence on everybody else because my friends would come and sit and we'd all just draw all day. Mm -hmm. And she thought that was like the worst. I don't know. So
1: it was a a good early challenge to say, no, this is, this is me. Yeah.
2: And my mom was great because she would bring my mom in for parent teacher conferences and you know, say like Madeline needs to do other things. And my mom was like, Why? <laughs> like, it's This is wrong kindergarten. With this? Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. This is who she is. Yeah. So, and I'd draw like all weekend, all day long, whenever, like, I'd get home and draw. And, um, my dad, my dad, um, had an office and he didn't ever have like enough paper. Uh-huh. I'd go through all of his legal pads <laughs> and You're so burning he'd, through his, his yeah, supply. Just, yeah. And he'd, um, he had, like, big boxes of business cards, so I'd draw all over the business cards, and he still has them. Like, I always expected him to get, like, upset about it, and he, he just saved all of them, so he these boxes of, like, little That's sweet kid drawings. Yeah. He didn't give you the business. Those are
1: my no, business yeah. cards. <laughs> yeah. How
2: I wonder if he ever gave them out to people. He brought, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with the drawing on the yeah. back? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's personalized,
2: yeah. Here's a little princess with a <laughs> yeah. on the back. Yeah, on the back. Yeah,
0: yeah. Or so, a
1: dog. when you were in school, but I mean, I mean, it's kind of weird that a teacher would kind of poo-poo drawing, it's a little weird. especially at that age. Yeah. But you know, I, there are always those teachers in the educational system that are there to try to crush your dreams. Yeah, I think <laughs> you it was to a fight l- through.
2: Yeah, I think I was ver- like a very non-conformist kid, and she was. I don't know. Try, trying to get me to conform or something. I don't know.
1: Because it's yeah, the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. They just want you to be easy. Yeah. Right.
2: Use all the tables.
1: How many like famous stand-ups? You know what I mean. are Those kids in school who they're like they're the pain in the butt of the teacher. Yeah. But they go on to actually like do things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When I was like a really good kid, I didn't like do any. I wasn't hitting people or biting or right. Like getting in trouble, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's odd. I don't know. It's kind of weird, like, who teachers kind of choose to...
1: Did you have good teachers after that? I, I did. like, art teachers?
2: Well, so I went to the same school. I went to, like, a private Catholic school for 10 years. So I had a reputation after that. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody kind of always knew that I was, like, an artist. And the cool thing was is eventually I could, like, get out of stuff to do art projects for teachers. Mm-hmm. So if we had... If we were... You know, doing football and PE or something, but they needed a banner painted for. Oh, uh, you could. Uh, they were like, Madeline, do you mind? And I'd be like, yes, please. <laughs>
1: the great escape. Yes.
2: Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It does so a it lot. It feels of,
1: like validating in a way, right? It's yeah. Like a, yeah. This is something that, like, you get ownership over. It's like, this is something good at. Yeah. And that, you know, is my niche
2: mm-hmm. in a way. and And I have an older brother who, it was, I think he was three years older in school. And he was like... I think the thing that was interesting about it is the school is small enough that there was a character. Like, everybody had a part. Like, mm-hmm. everybody played a part throughout their experience there. And I was the artist. And my brother was kind of the genius. Like, he was just really smart. I thought um, you were going to say the quarterback for a second. No. Well, <laughs> he actually... he he was really He was really good at sports. So he played all the... He played soccer and baseball and football and everything. Yeah. And he was kind of the star athlete. And he was also... The star academic, and so everybody, like I didn't feel pressured to kill myself academically because I kind of saw how hard that was, and right. how kind of boring. And he wasn't great with people, so I was like, whatever. I don't. Was
1: need he to. a little more into his world? I don't
2: yes, very know. competitive. Yeah. What's and he do now? He's a he's a lawyer. Yeah, he's sure. a, he's a. <laughs> um. Oh my god! I just forgot the word. Uh, and he's a. Oh my god. Immigration. He's an immigration lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: yeah. Is he still in Texas? Mm-hmm.
2: He has a practice in Houston. Yeah, and he speaks um, Spanish and Portuguese. So that
1: seems like an, an area right now that is important. Yeah. Maybe undesirably busy.
2: <laughs> he's incredibly busy. Yeah, he's doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of. It's a, lo- a lot of determination. A lot to deal with, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he kind of loves the, like being needed, like the, um, like how kind of desirable that position is right now so, yeah. Well, yeah people are depending for on that right now yeah yeah um so yeah. what
1: so through high school you did well in school but your art was kind of like your role in a way yeah
2: so so I went to that school so I found out about my high school when I was in second grade or something and then I was really determined to go there it's an arts high school so my my life was kind of like get into HSPVA which was the high school and I got in there so um Our high school was uh, three hours of art a day, Mm -hmm. and then academics. Yeah, it was amazing. That's cool. Yeah, and we had like a found. It was a lot like an undergrad art course. We had foundations the first year, and then we did everything three D sort of things.
1: Yeah, that's pretty great.
2: Yeah, we had black and white photography and painting and. Welding and ceramics—it was really amazing. Yeah,
1: contemporary performance and in interpretive art. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People
2: resisted it, but we we had it. Yeah, It's pretty our progressive. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of or in the '90s. There was a lot of performance in Houston. Yeah, um, a lot of like found object, like Rauschenberg inspired mm-hmm. um, sculpture, and a lot of performance. Yeah, not not a ton of painting, but people like I had amazing painting teachers. At high school. In, my in high school,
3: school.
1: Well. that's mm-hmm. amazing.
2: Yeah. And Julian Schnabel went to U of H. He'd lived in Houston for a while. So it was kind of this like, I feel like our teachers were kind of channeling like a Julian Schnabel, Robert Rauschenberg, like found object.
1: Expressive. Yeah. Physical.
2: Physical, yeah. And like layering objects and then painting on top of them so that you really feel like you know what you're doing. Because yeah. you, you're painting on um, super uncertain surfaces and... Um, It was really fun, incredibly fun. Yeah, it feels
1: like that would fit in the environment. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have the the space, and I don't know, Houston or or Texas. It feels like there's a weight to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there's there are a lot of um, like it's really easy to find amazing found objects. And there's the whole like there's a shipping industry, there's oil and gas, a lot of like industrial supplies and waste that you can. It's really easy to find free supplies. It's like metal f- yeah.
1: floating around. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. A t- like a good friend of mine, Dylan, does welding and casting with huge, he makes these huge pieces
1: mm-hmm.
2: that are all, like he finds, you know, huge, like a barrel and then makes something out of it. A lot of, yeah, a lot of large, there's a lot of space. So you can make large work. I started painting on like four by six, like four foot by six foot canvases when i was like 15 because i had them my uncle was an artist and he kind of gave me a bunch of stuff and it was yeah i was like oh yeah i can paint yeah. <laughs> really large paintings why not i have the room for it yeah
1: that's cool did you and i thought of this when you mentioned space and thinking about texas when did marfa like start in earnest like when people would visit
2: um, Donald Judd, I think, moved down there in, like, 71. Yeah, right. Actually got married in Marfa. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Um, it was amazing. I, my dad used to take us camping in Big Bend for a month every summer, which is right next to Marfa, or it's yeah. like an hour away. Um, and so it's a really special place for me. Yeah. But, but so when I was growing up, Marfa wasn't really a thing. Right. It I became, it, like... Yeah. There, there was, that, like, Donald Judd was there.
1: In the Chinati, right? It mm-hmm. became... When did that...
2: I think he died. I think he died, um... I don't remember when he died. But when he died, I think it became a foundation. Yeah, yeah, and his kids have done a lot to make sure that it stays open.
1: I mean, I haven't been, but it just seems it's, yeah, amazing. It's,
2: it's it's a really amazing place to go, especially from the city if you go in the winter, because yeah. it's always hot there. Right. Speaking of 113 degrees, yeah. Like, we had a bunch of people. We were there. We got married in May, and it was... Was it blazing? It was blazing, yeah. And we told everybody, like, be careful. And actually, Ju- Julie Curtis came. Oh, really? And she... she I, t- I told her, I was like if you go on a hike, you got to bring water and you really have to be careful. And she and her husband went on, they started to go on a hike and then realized they didn't have any water with them. Oh. And they were like, Oh yeah, we can't do this. Cause it's just so hot. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it, when I, think when I was little, it was considered there's, there's definitely this like New York versus Texas kind of thing. Yeah. And I think there was definitely kind of like, Oh, there's some artist in New York who's making a presence and, marfa what's he doing right and um the the towns there are these um like there's a constellation of towns around marfa and they're all they're all very unique kind of cliche texas experiences
1: are they far or are they near
2: they're every everything's about 25 miles okay each town
1: so it's not right next to it but it's yeah it's not too yeah. far
2: in texas 25 miles is like right next to it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so no, that kind of distant? right yeah, so there's one town where you can go horseback riding and there's a little natural spring and then there's another town that's like very like um oh what's that football show Friday night lights Oh yeah it, yeah like their football stadium has the is on they have like a hill with their name written in plants uh-huh. next to the football stadium yeah, yeah. yeah um yeah it's a really amazing little place little part of Texas there's an observe um an observatory called McDonald Observatory that's run by the University of Texas Mm -hmm. so there's like science and art and sports and and then Big Bend is just this amazing national park that's kind of below all of it yeah
1: it's you're doing a good job at promoting I love Texas. Texas. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it sounds really great. I mean, I like I said I passed through, but I haven't spent a lot yeah. of time there. But I've been wanting to go to Marfa. Yeah, you should go for so long because I, you know Judd, and then also John Wesley has like mm-hmm. a history there, and I'm a huge fan of John Wesley's yeah. paintings. So, which is such a funny odd combination, mm-hmm. you know, because their work yeah. is so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really do need to...
2: Yeah, to and there's way. residency there too.
1: I know, I know. Yeah. Well, as we were yeah. saying, I think I'm waiting for my son to go to college before I right. hit the second... This, you know, the residency circuit is right. on hold until, yeah. you know, because yeah. just day-to-day to day is so busy, yeah, you know? And I can't just be like, all right, peace, I'm out for mm-hmm. like, you know, a couple months yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. So with all that amazing high school art experience, mm-hmm. was it just, uh, you know predetermined conclusion that you were going to go to art school? Or? I was
2: incredible. I was just so happy. People have really difficult high school experiences. I did not have that. We had, it was a really tiny program. So there were 150 people in my graduating class. It's a yeah. really small school. And we had like a lot of the art schools recruited through our school. So, um, I didn't actually have to apply to art school. They came and looked at my portfolio, and then I was—I got into a few schools before applying, mm-hmm. and that made it easier to make a decision. And I went to the museum school for undergrad, which was, was such a shock because Boston is just so cold, and and it, and I'd come from this like you know big free place where it's really easy to make work, and then I went to a school where like we didn't have studio spaces and um the education was pretty similar I think my high school was modeled after the museum school and after like LaGuardia here yeah but um it was really I actually felt like my high school was a better art education than the museum school was
1: well that's crazy
2: (laughs) (laughs) and the museum school kind of has like a I mean, it's, it's kind of a rough and tumble place. But it was, it was also a great school because it was totally free. You could do whatever you wanted. You didn't have to follow any certain curriculum. And that was good for me. Like, I'm self-motivated enough that
1: it was... It worked.
2: It was fine, yeah. So the yeah.
1: facilities, so you didn't... It wasn't like your normal kind of studio setup?
2: Yeah, so- it was just really hard. You had to... Um, when I started, you had to um, present your portfolios to professors to get into classes. Mm-hmm. And as a freshman, it just meant you didn't get into anything. So, whereas other, yeah, yeah, Yeah. you had to basically like schmooze with professors to, and a lot of them didn't weren't really interested in women. So, like, I don't know, it was just kind of a weird. It was really competitive, like from the first day, and there wasn't any preparation for that, so nobody really knew. And then we all kind of showed up and couldn't get into any classes and
1: deep end of that, yeah.
2: And that changed by the end of my term there, but. Yeah, it was just it was like living in New York. It's like yeah. going to New York for college.
1: I was gonna say a good training ground for like how not easy things are yes. here, I guess.
2: It was it was kind of ideal for that, yeah.
1: The same male BS, you know, dealing right. with like that thing. Yeah.
2: And that, that all kinda I mean that all I think that was just kind of a it's like the tail end of I don't know, whatever. But um yeah, I don't and I'm kind of like rebellious I just didn't wanna I was like, I don't wanna have to prove to these people that I'm good enough for their class when yeah. I should be like, if I was at another school, this would just be a foundations class. Like, I don't know. It was a little frustrating, but the, the whole system has changed there. So it's not as complicated. And I did end up like meeting, I think because it was so challenging, I ended up doing different things. And, um, I got into like installation and screen printing and yeah, I, did I was going
1: ask of, like how it manifested, Yeah. you know, whereas if you go to a normal kind of program where you do your foundations, pick your area of concentration and you just bang it out, you know, like how did that, it just made you more diverse in your approach maybe? Or in the way that you went about it?
2: Yeah. And I think it kind of taught me to, to really get out of your comfort zone. I I probably would have just painted exclusively in undergrad. (laughs) Um, and I, instead I kind of had to learn how to, um, like work on my, toes what's that expression I can't <laughs> just I, I had to kind of learn how to Why? be more resourceful I can't think I don't know what that think on your feet think on your feet yes yeah I had to be a little more resourceful so I painted all the time at home like yeah. just in my freshman year I think I painted everybody who came over to our house
1: at home though was it like a small situation or did you have a big space I
2: lived in a house with two guys who went to my program mm-hmm. and we ended up kind of having like a party house, and. We had, um, I just painted with oils inside because I was 18, didn't yeah. really think about it.
1: <laughs> Those fumes weren't hitting. No, me. <laughs> yeah, there
2: probably wasn't the worst of what was happening in the house, yeah. And um, we, we had a lot of windows and doors, so I think I just kind of opened stuff and...
1: Let the turpentine flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't hit me until like right at the end of undergrad. When, because in those days there were no, there was no ventilation. Yeah, and people were just using giant vats of turp everywhere. That's so crazy. And I remember just getting massive headaches and right. being like, "Why am I woozy all the yeah. time?" And then I switched to acrylic and moved to a separate space, and I was like, "Oh my god, it went away." Yeah, you realize that that stuff. You know, I mean, yeah, now it it's much better. There's like, you know, eco friendly solvents mm-hmm. and stuff. But we were rocking the turpentine straight up. Yeah. back in those yeah, days. Yeah, I think
2: I was using whatever I could get for free probably. Oh. Ah, let's so not even focus on that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, um, the brain cells that have been erased like took some I'm of that. Kind memory, of okay so. still, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I did work. I think I eventually started just painting in acrylic again cuz I we painted in acrylic in high school and I was yeah. It's cuz I did end up painting at home most of my college Career. And then yeah, and I but I screen printed a lot and I made these like big installation like fabric pieces mm-hmm. that I could move around easily and kind of hang. Um
1: did you have good visiting artists or visiting artists program or was it? We more-
2: did. Yeah, Ann Craven was actually one oh, of nice. my painting teachers my freshman year. Um wow. and she was really awesome. She she was she was really generous. She yeah. was always available. Um and yeah, and we had you know we we did have visiting artists but they didn't do studio visits cuz they probably did studio visits to the grad students but we didn't get them as undergrads cuz we like hardly anybody had a studio. But we had um we did have a bunch of really amazing faculty there. Um Yeah, it was it was it was interesting. It and we did come to New York a lot, which was oh, yeah? nice. You yeah. We did the field trips. Mm-hmm. We came to New York a lot and saw shows and we'd come down for the biennial.
0: And so you got
1: a taste of like you know, mm-hmm. you might want to do this afterwards. Yeah. So when you were set to graduate, was it, what was your plan? I mean, how did you come out of that experience?
2: I was kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, I have a, like a mentor, um, this woman, Jen Schmidt, who's, she's like a, she's, she was my screen printing teacher and she's, she does kind of a little bit of everything. Um, and I remember talking to her and being like, what do I do when I graduate? And she she said that almost everybody quits. She's like, almost everybody's going to quit and do something else. So just keep at it and see what happens. I feel
1: like that's every, right? Mm-hmm. We I had that in undergrad where it's, I think it was like, um, was it 5% of people who, you know, Graduate, go on to grad school or something. Mm-hmm. I know, I'm sure people back then were making up, and then like one yeah. percent actually go off to go on to live off of their work. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, damn, those aren't good odds. Yeah,
2: but if you are determined and kind of crazy, then <laughs>
1: well, yeah, back then you we are like, well, what <laughs> else fine. am I going to do? Yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking that now. I'm like, I think at this point I can't do anything else. like This yeah, is just right. kind of what I have to do. Well, I'm stuck. Yeah, this is what I learned. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I knew I didn't want to go to grad school immediately because the program was intense enough that I was kind of, I kind of needed, my brain needed a break. Yeah. It was, it was really intense. Like a lot of, um, uh, we did a lot of reading and philosophy discussion and it was pretty intense. And, um, so, and I also wanted to be able to make a living.
0: Right. Oh, really? I didn't want to, (laughs) yeah. You wanted to pay bills?
2: Yeah. I wanted to move to New York. I knew I wanted to live in New York um I kind of felt like that was. I think the thing about growing up in Houston, art is a realistic lifestyle in Houston. But everybody asks you what you're going to do. Like growing yeah. up, people like, "Oh, great, you want to be an artist. So what are you really going to do? Yeah. Or, or are you going to be a graphic designer?" And I just, I knew that I wanted to live in a city where you didn't have to have that conversation because I think that gets in the way of just being able to make, Focus just being able to it. be yeah, who yeah. you are. If you have to always be like, "Oh, God." Like how do I answer this question? Right.
1: What do you do? I'm an artist. Oh, but what do you do between nine and five? Mm -hmm. I love that it's always graphic design. Yeah. The thing that, as if like painters and sculptors are necessarily good at design. Oh yeah.
2: I'm like I can't use a computer. I can (laughs) send an email. and That's about it. Yeah. No, I can use Photoshop. Kind of. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I moved to New York and I just kind of did whatever. 2006.
1: So, oh.
2: I've been here for a while.
1: You, but that's, that's a tough time coming mm-hmm. in, right? Because yeah. that was bubble, and it was mm-hmm. about to break. Yeah. So two years after you got here is when it hit yeah. the fan.
2: Yeah, and also, like, I feel like work, the work I saw in Chelsea was pretty bleak. There was a lot of really kind of dark, um, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. There was a lot of really kind of cynical Almost like privilege artwork. It was like yeah. cynical privilege. Like you'd go into Zach Fuhrer or something and it'd just be really depressed. This is a little bleak, but maybe it'll change. Were
1: you working as soon as you got down or did it take you a little while to get set up? Yeah,
2: I did. I, I, I worked immediately. I did like some babysitting and then I got a job, a really weird job um, styling books uh-huh. for like movies and TV shows. And I well, did lots cool gig. Like styling for Saturday Night Live and Bon Order. Game? Um, it was through the Strand Bookstore. Oh, they nice. have like a separate business that does book styling with all of their collections. I was just there the other day. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that place. Yeah. I hope it never goes away I know. Yeah. I buy books just to keep that place in business.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah. So I did that for a couple of years and then I started working for Jeff Coons. I worked did. for <laughs> 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 Yeah, I worked for him for a couple of years. You and know, then, this,
1: this podcast is becoming like a litmus test for how many people, yeah. <laughs> there's like a percentage,
2: I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. So you learn
1: the ropes through Yeah. T- <laughs>
2: well, and I I also feel like I kind of learned how to balance my, st- I mean, you work so much when you work for him. Yeah. It's like more than a full-time job. Um, but everybody there is an, is a working artist. Right. So it was, it was definitely like every day at work, you have a conversation about like, so what's going on in your studio? And um, do you have any shows happening and what's going on? And, and that was really great to be around. And then it was a good balance of trying to figure out how to work all the time. And then also work on my own stuff.
1: Yeah. Cause that could be, I mean, there's that adage of like, don't do the day job. That's similar to the night job because at night you'll just won't have
2: Yeah, well, energy. And the work I was doing was so different than I was in the sculpture painting department mm-hmm. and it was really more so like working objects. on cars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, so it wasn't at all related to my own practice. But I do think it got me, because I, I, I'd been in this program that really, like an undergraduate program that really made us think about not, like the whole conversation of whether or not painting is dead was so real. Like every crit I had, they were like, why are you painting? And um, working for Jeff Koons, I think I really, it got me back on my painting courage. Like I didn't feel, I think before then I'd been trying to do everything, like do installation and performance and painting and photography and kind of do everything thinking that like, maybe if I do everything, I'll figure something out. But I kind of think the best thing that works for me is doing like just doing one thing, maybe two things. I think I have three things going on right now, but they're all related to each other, like drawing, painting and ceramics. They're all like a painterly, like kind of fluid thing. Um, and I think I really kind of made the decision there, like, yeah, I'm a painter and I should like just do painting and figure it out instead of feeling like I have to do a bunch of different things. Um, and I made a bunch of really terrible paintings. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. And when I quit that job, I think just because I was working so much there, yeah, I, Painted outside for a couple years.
0: How
1: long did you last there?
2: I was there for three years. Oh, wow. I kind of feel like I'm kind of one of those people where if I get a job, I feel like I have to stay there for a couple years. And then, so I kind of made myself stay there for a while and then it just was the right time to go, so. Longer
1: than you? Yeah. Than you need it? Yeah. Do you do that when you go to a party or a social event where you stay a little longer than you need to? I
2: always, yeah, I love, I love being around people, so I'm like.
1: Oh, so it's not a chore. It's not a chore, yeah. 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 I just felt when, like I would do that where I would go to a party or something and, and my friends were all there and I was having a good time. But I was like, okay, I really want to leave. But I feel like no, I got to stay yeah. a little while longer until yeah. I hit the point where I'm like exhausted and right. like, have to do the yeah. side exit.
2: Yeah. When So when I was at Wyssaic the last couple of weeks, we'd twi- I'd take Twyla to the, there's like one restaurant in town That is owned by the residency, and they have a bouncy house in the backyard. Oh, really? So we'd go and bounce, you know, play in the bouncy house. Yeah. And all the residents would come and hang out and like have a beer. And somehow Twilight and I would be the the last ones there. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I'm the mom with the toddler. I'm I'm not supposed to be her last. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's so quiet there, you know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. I imagine it's nice to. You know, yeah. hang out. Yeah. In and a bounty house, I mean, for a kid, that's like, why not get the most out of that experience? It would
2: have been really hard usually to break her away. Usually yeah. it's like a
1: street fair for an hour and then mm-hmm. you're out or something. Or there's like 80 kids and you've got to like try to squeeze in there.
2: Try to keep your kid from getting yeah. broken. Getting yeah. destroyed by right. the older kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I can't remember. I was going to say something, but I can't remember what I was going to say. But yeah. Um,
1: sorry. So, yeah.
2: So I worked, yeah. So I worked at Jeff Koons for a few years and it really like, it's amazing to work there to see how kind of the machine works. And, um, yeah. And then when I left, I freelanced for a few years and then, and then went to grad school. So when
1: did you, so when you moved down here during the Koons time, the Koons era, did you have a studio, did you have a s- separate studio outside of where you were living? I worked, so I, I'd,
2: I'd moved into this new apartment in Crown Heights uh-huh. that, um, was very old and had, is like an old, um, shotgun brownstone. So mm-hmm. I had a huge like cement garden entrance room. Wait,
1: I know of brownstones, but I've never heard of a shotgun. Brownstone. Shotgun
2: brownstone is just a thin brownstone. It's huh. like, t- instead of having the regular like entryway with the hallway and then the the two rooms on the side, or the three rooms on the side. Yeah. It's shorter and skinnier.
1: So it's kind of like a railroad deal? Yeah. Well, it wasn't a
2: railroad. It was just like, it was almost like a dollhouse where each room was on a different floor. Oh, I see. It was very unique.
1: That's cool. Yeah. There's one of those in the village that is so skinny, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I I saw... You know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
2: yeah. And it was owned by Cary Grant or something. I just saw some... It's For some reason, there was an article written about that house recently. Yeah, it's, yeah, That's, it's a really so. Mine wasn't quite that small, but <laughs> right, but yeah. Um, so I had a really great studio, like huge, like you know, nineteen by twenty five studio in the basement and or like in the entryway, like the garden entrance, and then and then it, like my bedroom was upstairs and the kitchen living room was upstairs. Sounds great. It was really amazing. Yeah, so I worked from home and. I didn't have like a ton of studio visits. I think I was still just trying to figure out what I was doing.
1: What was it like then?
2: What do you mean? The work. Oh. Um I so I I'd, I'd painted from f- photographs for years. Mm-hmm. And I was I just was trying to get away from that and couldn't really figure out how. So for 2 years I painted outside. And I just painted whatever was outside. Like I'd go on a day trip or something and paint outside. Made a lot of really terrible like landscape paintings and beach paintings and just whatever, um and I did a lot of portraits of people that's I kind of have these like exercises I do when I'm trying to transition
1: from observation basically was mm-hmm. was the way to yeah I mean that's the real photograph in a way
2: yeah, yeah, I kind of trust observation when I feel uncertain about what to do um, and then I did that long enough that I started thinking like. I, I don't know, I know, like, at this point, I've, I have enough education and I've painted enough that I can probably figure this out on my own. And so for the past few years, I've just been painting from my mind instead, mm-hmm. of, instead of from anything else and just kind of, like, improvising.
1: Well, the inventive sort of sometimes mannerist, like, elongation and bending and, mm-hmm. you know, the forms and stuff yeah. seems like the real kind of bread and butter of a lot of what you're working on now. Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine that must have felt good to be able to just break out of, you know, the photo or yeah. just looking and then stretch it and contort right. it.
2: Yeah, and I think I do have kind of like an obsessive mind, and working from reference, I get kind of um, like I'll lose track of what the point is and and get you know fixated on getting yeah getting the arm right, getting the distance between like how a bend and the arm works or how fingers look, and now I've just my motivation is like having fun and not thinking too much about what something should look like, but how it feels instead Right. and what feels fun about painting it.
1: Well, I imagine. And so that's kind of leading into what you're working on now, right? Which a lot of it feels to me like kind of correct me if I'm wrong, my interpretation of like this motherhood and then how, it, how as a parent you're contorted. Yes. And yeah. Stretched. Mm hmm. And, you know, I don't know, there's, I don't know how to verbalize it exactly, but you know, when you're a parent, you're, before you have a kid, your life is about you and what you want to do and what you're going to do. And then after you have a kid that's gone, Mm -hmm. like they're the center of the world. And then you're just kind of trying to find your own steps around just caring Mm -hmm. and and worrying and basically focusing on this little person's yeah. ability to be in the world and yeah. enjoy it and to, mm-hmm. you know, stay safe or whatever it is. I mean, is that, was that a yeah. big moment whenever, uh, I'm sure it I is. Think, yeah, it seems like you've made work about it.
2: Right, so. yeah. And I think, so when, so, so I, so Twila was born when, like, I started grad school when she was six weeks old. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think when you have, like, your first kid and it's new, you're just so, I kept thinking about, like, This is maybe sounds weird, but I kept thinking about like past sexual experiences, Mm kind of like, how did I get here (laughs) a little bit? (laughs) So I was making these paintings about that. And then, um, and then, I I don't know, they're just, just eventually I was kind of making these secret drawings about like nursing and pumping and things that I thought, you know, were probably really repulsive to other people. And then when people would look through my journals, they'd be like, this is hilarious. Like, what is this? Um. And I think it, I kind of like tiptoed into it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and kind of the beauty of having a baby is stuff changes so fast, and so the the work has kind of been an evolution of like my experiences as a new new parent, and they've evolved from like I didn't really make a ton of, I'm not, it's like I haven't done a lot of painting about the specific instances of like birth or nursing or, um those things i'm it's, i'm more interested in like yeah like the physicality of it and the res, there's restraint and um yeah like the claustrophobia but also just the intense like love and kind of obsession it's it's really bizarre yeah yeah
1: no that's what it kind of the word that kept popping into my head and looking at your work was kind of like grappling with the situation, yeah like physically mm-hmm. metaphorically,
2: yeah, and i I don't know yeah it's it's tough and i'm I think the really big thing for me is like I'm trying not to to like judge anybody else's experiences and yeah. and I think that like the work has really gotten very kind of seemingly autobiographical, and I think just because I'm really trying not to. Like, force my uh, perspective on other people. Right. And there's something kind of scary about that, but it's also, I mean, the work is gonna evolve so quickly that I also really am happy to kind of see what happens. Like, I work really intuitively, so it's almost like I don't know what is gonna happen until I start painting in the studio, and there's something really great about that, but it's also like I'm kind of making myself really vulnerable. Well, you're drawing but on really your experience. I feel very vulnerable, yeah yeah which
1: everyone kind of does but sometimes it's just in a format Mm -hmm. like you know like looking and looking at this work you know it your paintings it's like drawing on like something that people could associate with Mm -hmm. your experience more directly yeah right I mean that's just like figuratively you know like if I paint like city streets Mm -hmm. it might be me walking down those streets but people might not know that yeah you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. like the, the personal is disconnected in a way but it's it might not be at all actually.
2: Yeah. And I, I almost feel like the more personal the work has become, the more people seem to relate to it. Yeah. Which is really shocking, but also kind of wonderful. Um, yeah. And
1: does it, is it shocking because you feel like, Oh, well you, uh, like, you're saying you feel a little more vulnerable because it is like tied to a personal experience. You no, know,
2: I, I, I shouldn't, I really shouldn't have said that because it's, I don't really feel that vulnerable, but, um, I do. It's weird when people are like, "Oh, Twilight," you know, like it looks like Twilight. Something's happening with Twilight in this one, and I'm like, uh, "Oh, yeah. right," but it's not really. It's well, a painting. It's not really Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When people get that specific, I'm a little like, "Oh, what am I doing?" But also, you know, I get a lot of feedback from people that are like, "This is my life," and like, "Oh my god," and especially like when dads or when men are like, "Yeah, like this is." I think when men relate to it, it's really special, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, And I do, like, the other thing that I think about it is I, like, I've always made work about intimacy. I'm really interested in intimacy. I'm kind of like a naturally intimate person. I think just the way my family is, like, everybody's kind of very open, and I don't know, like, people like to hug, and what I don't know. But so I think that in a way, this work translates intimacy in a way that I've never really been able to before and I think that 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 everybody can relate to that like everybody's been obsessively interested in somebody right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. it's like I, f- I feel like in a way this is it's like we're not really allowed to like the, these kinds of this kind of relationship would be really kind of dangerous if it was like a romantic or sexual relationship, but I also think that that's honestly how people feel when they meet and they connect. Right. It's like you want to like, if you like meet somebody and you feel really connected to them, you want to like be in them. (laughs) Like you want (laughs) to like, you want them to like own your body and you want to own, you know, it's like there's this very, like those super intense feelings, like I I love being able to express that in a way. So
1: yeah. Well, I think, I think, when you were describing that kind of relationship to the people interpreting it directly, personally, I think when you're creating things and especially when it deals with like images of people, which is we react so differently to to a portrait than we do to a landscape, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Personal, like your personal connection, even if you don't know the person or whatever. And then I think of like actors and how difficult that must be because people you, if you play a certain role, they're like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's like a jerk. Or yeah. she's like, <laughs> you know, this or that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That it must be so hard to separate those. That's a real, it's not vulnerability, like you were saying. You know, it's not quite that. But it is, you're putting something out there that could be misinterpreted.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was, It's. I think it makes the moments, like going to a SIG with my daughter, <laughs> it was, I was, there was a little bit of like, Okay, when I present my work to everybody, it's gonna be like it was almost like a performance piece. Right. Like she, we were we were all there together for a few days before we all shared our work, and Mm -hmm. I'm like living my work in front of everybody before they see it. And then when I presented my work, I was kind of like, yeah. So uh, (laughs) uh, this is my work. (laughs) It's exactly like my daily life. Yeah, which is I think that's it's kind of you're kind of like oh this is not that far removed from, but that's the whole point. Yeah. And yeah. I, and it's, and I think there's something, this is such a unique time in life. And definitely the way I felt when Twilight was a baby, um, it's like, this might be the only time this ever happens for, you know, us, for my husband and myself and my daughter. And yeah. I couldn't really have a hard time with any of it. It's like the hard nights. I was like, yeah, this is rough, but, this might never happen again. And I don't know, maybe I'm like too sentimental about life or something. I don't know. But it just seems like a very unique experience to channel into a creative process.
1: And it sounds like Like you're able to look past, you know, that moment at the bigger picture. Yeah. Whereas like my son never slept. Yeah. He was, it took him forever, like years and years and years to sleep through the night. Yeah. So I got to the point where I was like, okay, I just need some sleep. Here. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I can't. You know, we just have our son. We don't have more kids. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people ask, and I'm like, no, I, I think I'm. Yeah, you're good. I'm, I'm ready to. <laughs> you know, I'm okay with sleeping now. Yeah. Like yeah. it took a long time to get to that point. You know. Right. But it's just you. you it sounds like you're you're putting it in a bigger context, right. which is a very healthy kind of like positive yeah. place to be, especially for you know the kid involved yeah. you know to be have that mental because like you're saying when you were saying like why try not to judge other parents or like other people's situations like when you're in target and you see a woman yelling at a child and sometimes like you know um oh geez take it easy or you're in a parking lot and there's some dad yelling at their kid to like don't put it in that or mm-hmm. whatever it is and you immediately feel bad for the kid but then you're like oh well that kid's probably driving the parent
2: yeah it's like it's a double-sided thing right yeah, yeah. But yes. so
1: sometimes I think it's so hard as a parent to to look past those little mm-hmm. micro things that just you know that make it so difficult because it's not easy, yeah, you know? but it sounds like you have this ability to well, I'm trying, yeah, see the bigger picture. so far,
2: it's been pretty easy to to recognize that you know it's not forever and and at a certain point, I'm going to be sad that it's over. it just stuff goes by so quickly, yeah um.
1: It really does. Yeah. And like you were saying before, we, you know, once you have a kid, it's like everything goes you just see it go by fast. I think it's, it's literally like too. Sand. Like it yeah. probably went by fast too before, but you don't notice it cuz there's not this little like like living sort of yardstick that's growing mm-hmm. and like things change. Like the social dynamic around you changes so much as those years go by that right. it, it, you really become hyper aware of how fast time goes.
2: And I remember thinking like when we brought her home realizing that I couldn't die, which is such a, I just never, it never occurred to me before. I was like, oh right, like Ian can't die, I can't die, Twilight can't die, which I don't know, it was like so simple and horrifying. Right. Like I'd been living all this time just riding my bike around Manhattan without a helmet. (laughs) Right, right, you're like, it's fine, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's this seriousness, yeah, and then I think also like I can't take things too seriously, so... And I think that kind of comes out in the work a little bit, yeah. Yeah. It's like kind of having a sense of humor with stuff that can be real. And, oh, but also all that stuff that you were talking about, like your son, you know, your son didn't sleep very well. I think that's also really what was the catalyst for this work is that I have a lot of patience for the severity of this job of, like, parenting. But it also got to a point where I was just like, oh my God, you know, like this is really, this is intense and this is difficult. And I had this turning point of like, instead of trying to depict things, and I think there's also this kind of instinct to paint women in like a glamorous, kind of beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, but I don't feel like that. Right. <laughs> and it was really funny because people, like when when I had Twilight I'd go places and people would be like, wow, you look amazing. You don't look like you had a baby. And I, it just such a weird thing to hear repeatedly, but also like kind of nice, but also it was like, I feel like I had you know, like I feel different and, and it just the physical and emotional transformation is so strong. And so I think I started relaying that in the work. Like things might look okay, but like, I hate putting pants on (laughs) like, like just basic kind of daily life stuff. Like. Um, just was funny. And instead of hiding that, and instead of trying to make, you know, like a Renaissance portrait of a mother holding a child, which I kind of, I think, especially growing up with Catholicism, I saw so many portraits of, like, Madonna and child, and just, it's it's just not accurate, and it's kind of boring, and...
1: it's like Instagram. Yeah. Or, like, everyone, where the young parents... Put up all the gorgeous photos and all that. You like yeah. you wanna frame it as that everything's great. Did you yeah. see that Mother's Day skit on Saturday night?
2: No, Live? no. I have to I'm not updated on Oh
1: my god. It's so good. Yeah, you'll love it. You'll have to watch it. Yeah, it's like reflecting on, oh Mom, when you were you were so gracious and blah blah and then it cut to like footage of the mom just like screaming in the war zone <laughs> yeah. with the kids, you know? Yeah. it's like so perfect. Yeah. But yeah, it's like Instagram of, uh, you know, that in the relation of that to trying to frame everything as being like ideal. Or yeah,
2: yeah. And, and then actually, the paintings yeah. being
1: a, a place or artwork being a place where you could really just let it out mm-hmm. the way you, the way you like comedy, like stand up yeah. comedy.
2: Yes. Oh my God. I totally, this feels so much like, I, yeah, I have a lot of friends that I grew up with who are stand up comics and this feels like, like this work feels like going to like an open mic like when I go in the studio, I feel like I'm going into an open mic and I'm just kind of so letting great. It go. <laughs> that's so great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: That's a really great. I mean, I love yeah. comedy, so I think it's such a right. great, probably cathartic. You know, it's, like just yeah. getting it out there. I,
2: and I think getting to the point where where my process is is that fluid is feels so good. Yeah. And and also like accepting total failures. Like if I get in the studio and the paintings are terrible. Like, okay, that's all right. There's always tomorrow. And I like each painting I do in one sitting and like that I'm not obsessing over something. Like I'm not going home thinking, how am I going to fix that? And what am I going to do tomorrow? What if I ruin it tomorrow? I just get it done. And then the next day I do something else. Yeah. And yeah. And drawing is really fun because I can have like, in, in, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have an idea for a painting, I can just get it down and then do a few drawings of it and see what happens. And yeah, everything feels like very fluid right now, which feels really nice.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I, do you feel this way? I felt like once you have a child, you don't really have, I don't know if it's that you don't have the energy or you've contextualized it to where all, most stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah, nothing compared matters. Compared to just like you were saying, yeah. keeping them alive yeah. and keeping you alive. Like some yeah. sort of thing kicks in in you, it's like survival or something. Yes. To where you're like, you know, a few people didn't show up at my opening, or yeah. you know, someone, whatever it is, it's not going to bother you as much. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I went in and just made like a clunker in the studio today. You're not going to,
2: yeah, you know, it's, it's nothing it's, matters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that big of a deal. As it long it as she's okay when I get home, it's right. fine, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's
1: kind of in a way, yeah, it's almost relaxing.
2: It's really, I, I feel like it's one of the best things that's happened to my studio practice. I'm 100% focused, like, no distraction oh yeah I do yeah, yeah. punching yeah. the clock sort of right. thing yeah, yeah. Like, and I love that now. yeah I <laughs> yeah. love it I do too yeah yeah and like listen the other thing that you really take for granted is listening to whatever you want to listen to
1: oh yeah, yeah.
2: because like especially right now I have a, a kind of a tyrant in the radio department so most of the time I've just made this rule <laughs> that we don't listen to anything in the car because I can't listen to baby shark again
1: <laughs> little tyrant yes it's like
2: <laughs> baby shark um, so, uh, yeah, so being on my own and being able to listen to like a podcast or whatever song oh, over and over again. Really enjoy <laughs> Do, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the first time. Yeah. That there's a lot of new parenthood that feels like being a teenager to me. Yeah. Cause you have, I think it's a similar like brain chemistry. I think it's a lot of like oxytocin or something, which I believe is like what is kind of driving you in high school or like whatever adolescence. There's like this, like lots of passionate feelings and then like intense, I don't know. Yeah. It's like kind of obsessive, intense, passionate yeah. <laughs> time. Yeah.
1: And being able to focus on the things you want whenever mm-hmm. given that offer. Like when yeah. the kid goes to sleep, I'm saying the kid because I don't want to say Mike. you know, just yeah. when... The kid goes to sleep and you're like, okay, now I'm going to eat ice cream and watch TV. or like, And you're really going to enjoy that. Whereas usually the TV would have been on all day and you could have whatever you want whenever you want it. You know what I mean? Like you kind of learn to really appreciate certain Mm -hmm. things for sure.
2: Yeah, your own food is really special.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did that whole dad thing like I think it was like the first. I called it baby boot camp. Like the first six to eight months where it was just, it was rough, yeah. you know, like the not sleeping mm-hmm. and the up all night and like the sleep deprivation causes like, I don't know. Just things it can go make you high.
2: go crazy. Yeah.
1: You go a little haywire. And yeah. Like my, my solution was just ice cream. Like oh, I would yeah. just eat ice cream. Yeah. That's like actually kind of my go to. And often. then I was like getting puffy, and, you know, I was like <laughs> <laughs> it's just no time to exercise and now yeah. I was just eating ice cream and you'd feel kind of like, oh, but it made you feel better like instantly. Yeah. So there's, I went on that for a while. There's also
2: <laughs> something about, um, this is like, and I have been so embarrassed to say this, but you said it, so it's totally fine. There's also something about ice cream where it's like a perfect mix of calories and fat. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't like when Trila was born and I was nursing, I could not eat enough food and I try to eat really healthy and eat like protein and whatever. And I just was starving and then I'd just eat a pint of ice cream. <laughs> and you'd feel I'd feel great, yeah. and then I'd wake up the next morning and weigh the same. Like I could eat a pint of ice cream every day and what not gain for two. weight. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah, and it didn't feel healthy, and it felt kind of I don't know, but also it was amazing. There's yeah, a was lot like of doing cal- whatever a lot of you want. In there. Yeah, lots of calcium. Yeah. That's what I told my husband. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, mis- it's it's nutrition. Yeah, it's in- yeah, it's insane. Like how many calories your body is burning when you're. Like I can't taking imagine. care of another person, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, yeah. And I do run, but um, yeah. It's really nice to get to eat whatever you
1: want. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those days are for me. Were long, ago. you know. You were <laughs> like a teenager, and you could eat what I yeah. see it in my son where he's just plowing through like ice cream and sweets and right. stuff. I'm, oh man, that was nice.
2: And do you did you play soccer? Or do you still play soccer? I still do. Yeah, I'm sure that's like although
1: whenever. I and around the time when my son was born, I was on a hiatus there from mm-hmm. from playing soccer yeah. I mean I was like running some and exercising here and there, but not. It took me a little while to get back into I it. I imagine
2: that would feel a little bit indulgent to because the games can go on for so long. oh yeah, yeah. there was no time for that. Yeah. It was
1: all hands on deck <laughs> <laughs> and then I have friends whose kids is like sleep through it. yeah, they slept like. Twelve hours straight yeah, through. And one. You're I was like, like wow, I'm going to kill you! Don't yeah, tell me about that." I don't even know about that. You're <laughs> yeah. supposed to pretend like it was awful for you too. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Anything good that happened to me, I just kept to myself because I didn't. Because you don't. Know, everybody has a horror story, and right. I didn't want to be like, "Oh yeah, I don't know about that." Yeah,
1: yeah. My friend told me he was. Um, <laughs> he was saying this was when my son was like, you know, newborn. He was like, "Yeah, you know, my I was in." probably Target or somewhere one day and my kid was just had like a code red, you know, Mm -hmm. just sat on the floor, just went. And he wasn't, he wasn't really doing that often at all. And just one day, just the stars aligned and he had a full on meltdown and he remembered looking around the store and everyone looking at him like, what are you doing wrong? You know, just like, he's like, you will have that moment, you know, where no matter what,
2: Everybody thinks you're like beating your child. Yeah, Yeah. it's
1: gonna hit the fan one day. Yeah. So to that, I say ice cream. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like Ali Wong? Have you seen her specials? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, does it get any funnier? They're great. Yeah. They're so
2: great. Yeah, and so honest. Yeah, I think there's some. There's definitely. It's like. Yeah, pregnancy and parenthood is kind of like this magic honesty card, which can be too much honesty for some people but right.
1: it's hilarious yeah oh I, I was my sides were hurting after that special yeah. that first really one was really funny so i
2: love good. all the stuff she says about her husband yeah
1: <laughs> guy yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious yeah yeah she really lets it go mhm that's good stuff do you listen to comedy in the studio i do i do so i
2: do some um i i try to no, so like when I get to the studio, I try not to use technology. Like I just, I don't want to be distracted by it. Right. So I don't like pick and choose while I'm working. I try to have like a stuff, stuff queued up or a playlist that I can listen to because I will be like, Oh my God, but that's not right. And that's not working. I need to change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um so I will listen I, I love like watching stand up specials like Netflix is amazing now cuz there's so many Netflix specials and I love like comedians and cars getting coffee. Yeah. And
1: I know I love all that comedy. Mm-hmm. Netflix is really I think her name is Lisa Nakamura. She's like oh, a, I don't know her. She's yeah. a producer I think who does like I think produces all those comedy or mm-hmm. like has been really in, instrumental in getting Netflix to be like the comedy platform. Oh that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a gold mine of stuff yeah. on there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it's perfect because you can just kind of turn it on and not think about. And I like sometimes I'll put that stuff on, and have it in the background, like watch it while I work instead mm-hmm. of instead of listen to it. Yeah.
1: So materials-wise, are you using acrylic?
2: I use oils, but I painted oil? with acrylic for so long that I kind of handle oils like acrylic.
1: Do you use acrylic underneath at all, Mm-mm. or is it it's raw oil? Yeah,
2: it's just oil. Yeah.
1: Are you doing? I mean, a la prima. <laughs> let's get some nerd talk in here yeah. Some, paint, yeah some painting talk you're not doing any like glazing or any like, i mean not you know, really yeah i just work forward.
2: really fast yeah and um i don't yeah i don't really do anything special
1: how do with, you loosen do you how do you loosen the paint or do um
2: you? i add i use um like an oil like walnut oil yeah and um turpin odorless mineral spirits
1: and you were saying you draw a lot. Do you sketch on canvas before you start? Mm-mm. You just yeah, I just at it?
2: draw and then I just draw on the canvas. Like I do a little tiny, not really an underpainting, but I'll just kind of sketch stuff out. Um, I've never really used any any like projector or. Um, I like the challenge of getting the like the composition on the canvas without any help. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, so I'll draw it and then have an idea of like how it should fit on the canvas, and then I kind of throw it up. And that that's kind of like it I think if I spend too much time on the drawing, then that can kind of get in the way of the fluidity of the painting.
1: It'll literally labor the image. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So sometimes, like if the drawing is bad, then the painting's better. Yeah, I try. Yeah, it's like I try not to get too fixated on anything and just like start working.
1: But if you get it up there and it's, let's say it's taking a left turn and you're not crazy about the composition, do you have to scrap it?
2: Just wash it off. Yeah. Or if I get to a certain point where it's finished, I can probably tell you which one I, (laughs) if I get to a point where it's finished, then I'll just do it over again Uh or just let it go Yeah. or wipe out a big part and yeah, but it's all pretty wet while I'm working. So, um, it's easy to just kind of wipe something away and then paint over it again.
1: Right. Yeah. Who are your big, uh, at the moment, like your big go-to painters of the past that you keep some books open on? Ooh,
2: I love Joan Brown. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, I mean, there's so many, I feel like my contemporaries are just so influential right now. Like Danny, I love Danny Orchard Yeah, and she's I actually texted her yesterday to ask her like a technical question. She's so smart. It's insane. She kind of knows everything. Um, and then like Julia, I love Julia and Nikki. Nikki mm-hmm. makes painting look so easy.
0: I know, right? That yeah. show was Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, and Jenna, Jenna also like <laughs> I feel like you've interviewed like one of my favorite. <laughs> um, and uh there's a woman named Celeste Perrone. Oh, I'm probably messing up her last name. She paints in Chicago. Um Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Probably should look up her I can't. We'll Google it. Anyway, we'll Google her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um her there's something really similar about our paintings, but they're very different. Mm -hmm. Like people can kinda keep showing me her paintings. Um yeah, and I get a lot of like Dana Schutz reference like people are like, Oh, that's a lot like Dana Schutz, which I think right now, like kinda everybody is indebted to her in a way. So I don't mind that so much. And then Kathy Kathy Bradford is so amazing and She's like such a generous, just person to talk to, and I love her work. Um, yeah, and like Anne Craven. Like I still, I love the way she handles paint. Yeah. And she was um, your professor, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. This um, one,
1: uh, I have. You ever seen um, Picasso's Bathers in uh, Venice? Yes.
2: Yeah. So that. So that. So all of my like bather work is influenced by Cezanne, Picasso. Um, Manet, like all those guys did lots of bather paintings and they're gorgeous.
1: That one at the, uh, the Guggenheim is like a knockout. Mm -hmm. The one with the one reaching over the horizon. I just love that painting.
2: Yeah. And like Matisse, like obviously Matisse, I love Matisse. I think growing up I was like, I fantasized about being Matisse and like, yeah, the lifestyle of just like living to paint and trying not to be a jerk about it.
1: (laughs) Not worrying about the nine to five day job everyone else in Texas was well, asking about. <laughs> well,
2: or, or just like finding a way to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, which I kind of feel, I feel like right now I'm, there, I'm in a lucky place. I feel like at any moment everything could end, but like right now I have, it just seems like everything's kind of a dream, like studio practice and a little family and <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a house on the, we don't, we don't have a house, but we have enough. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds enough. Yeah, good
1: situation. And what are you working? Is anything coming up?
2: Yeah, so I have um, my friend Emily Marie Miller is going to put together an outdoor uh, show called Secret Garden um, opening June 8th. And then Madeline Mermal, who's a curator um, here, is putting together a show um, opening June 15th called SPF 32. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, um, is I'm that gonna, a sunblock <laughs> reference? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's going to be 32 different painters, I think, nice. in the show. Yeah, and I, I can't remember the name of, they're both like pop-up shows, um, and, um, and I'm going to have some work in a show in Nashville at Elephant Gallery in July, Oh. Cool. and then I have a piece up at um, Stephen Harvey Fine Art Projects right now, and I have some pieces up at the Whitney Houston Biennial.
1: The best name oh, I'm, Wait, ever. I'm not
2: supposed to say that. The Every Woman Biennial. I guess the family asked them not to use Whitney Houston's name. In the, yeah, but it's such a good name. It's like tragic that it, they, had they had to change it. They had to change it? I love yeah. the Yeah So way. now it's the Every Woman Biennial. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a great name. Yeah, too. it is a great one. Yeah, and it's still a, it's one of her songs. So, or Her lyric from her song, I'm Every Woman. Yeah. It's all in me. Yeah.
1: It's Whitney either mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of stuff you got going on.
2: It's, it sounds like it, but... It's, yeah, it's good. Things are good. And you're painting. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: and before the last thing, ceramics. Oh yes, yeah. When did you start doing ceramics?
2: Um, I did ceramics like high school, college, but I'm just like didn't nothing made sense. And then for some reason, like two years ago, I just started playing with clay. My mother-in-law is a ceramicist, and oh, she nice. has a little kiln.
1: There's um, your connection.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it was it's just something. And there's this like tradition of. You know, arts first crafts, like Mm -hmm. women do crafts, men do arts, or men make art. And um, it kind of makes, it's like the whole point is like women can make crafts while they're taking care of children, like historically. And ceramics are something that I can do in front of, like it's non-toxic, it's totally harmless. Like she can't really, she runs up with a knife and (laughs) scrapes through it, it's fine. Yeah, it's like a very fat. it's just a really great material. kind of like slap stuff together and see what happens and it's it's like so free yeah um and i'm working with slabs so i'll roll out a slab and then draw on it and then cut it up and make that into a sculpture so it still has this like it's still kind of the same way i paint um yeah so i i've been using her kiln and then there was a kiln at brooklyn college that i used for a while and i'm kind of like i don't have there was a kiln at wasaic um i'm kind of indebted to whatever kiln i can find right um I need to I will probably like rent a space. I just like can't rationalize renting a studio and a ceramic space. But
1: Well, there's ceramic studios though, right, where you could go in probably if you take one class or something. Well, or
2: you can You pay a fee. You can just pay to have stuff fired. Yeah. It's kind of expensive, but I think I might do like one piece a month cuz it takes a, it takes time for stuff to dry. Yeah. Anyway, so um like one piece a month is kind of realistic. So I might just start doing that. Yeah. But I've been kind of like when I get a residency that has a kiln, I just try to make as much stuff as possible, which is insane. It's so stressful because really clay needs to dry, and you can't really push it. And you're just trying to squeeze out yeah. as much as <laughs> you can. Yeah, yeah. Are
1: you thinking of other ones?
2: Yeah, I have. I kind of have like a running list of like a hundred images that can either be. Like, they either work as two-dimensional pieces or they might work better as three-dimensional pieces, and sometimes I make them all and see what happens. And often, like, the ceramic piece is the strongest. Um, yeah, they're really fun. It's really yeah, fun to ceramics is
1: great. That's yeah. such a nice, like, counter to mm-hmm. a 2D painting, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. To see that stuff in 3D. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah, so thanks much for, for coming me. over. It was great to meet and chat. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you, too. Thank you.